welcome to the Cruciform Podcast, following Jesus on his way to the cross. In this podcast, we talk about how to live a life that is poured out in serving Jesus and shaped by his sacrifice. Here is our host, Perry Stepp. Greetings from my apartment near Maximir Park in the heart of Zagreb. Uh, it's good to talk to you today. Uh, it's a beautiful spring day in Zagreb. It's uh, Spring days in Zagreb are usually in the 40s or low 50s with icy breezes. And uh, indeed, I was up on the mountain earlier today and there's still some snow up there, but the flowers are blooming and the sun is shining and it's a beautiful day. And everybody, even though they're bundled up for winter, everybody is happy to see the sun and happy to be out and about today. I want to continue what I did uh, with the last episode, or what I started with the last episode, talking about how God changes us, how God uses the Holy Spirit to change us and to make us different. The episode last week was about Romans 8, and about how the Holy Spirit changes our lives, transforms our lives there. We talked about what the Holy Spirit does. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's primary work is not giving miraculous gifts. His primary work is changing us. The primary thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit transforms us and turns us into the people that God wants us to be. We said last week that the Holy Spirit lives in every Christian, but we don't all experience Him in the same way. And not every Christian experiences the Holy Spirit's power. Why do we not always experience His power? Well, because we have the tendency to resist him. We have the ability to resist him. You have to yield to the Holy Spirit if you want to experience his power. This is important. God wants to change you, and his power is living in you to change you. But you must yield to him. He will not take possession of you against your will. Again, to repeat, God's power lives within you, and God wants to change you, but he will not take possession of you against your will. You must yield to him if you want to experience that power. How do we yield? Well, in Paul's letters, the way that you yield to the Holy Spirit is by submitting your mind to him, submitting your thinking, your priorities, your memories, your values, the way that you look at the world, your goals and dreams. Uh, your aspirations, submitting all of those things to the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit change them, letting the Holy Spirit turn them into Jesus's thoughts, Jesus's goals and dreams and values and aspirations, so that you look at the world and you look at other people through Jesus's eyes instead of through your own. So that was the episode last week. And today I want to talk about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and the idea that God has set us free, but we're not really fit for freedom. So what does God have to do so that we can live freely? If you studied Paul's letters, particularly Romans and Galatians, you know that freedom is a big emphasis. Freedom is a big idea there. Um, Paul says that the Christian has freedom that comes from the power of Jesus' death and resurrection in their lives. In Romans 5, the last half of the chapter, he talks about being in Adam and then being in Christ. And then in Romans 6, he says we participate in Christ because we participate in his death and resurrection. Then the end of chapter 7, 
he kind of poses a question, even though we, even though we have this freedom, there's still this old part of us that loves to sin, that loves to rebel. Who is going to set us free from this, this old life, this old way of living? He calls it this body of death. And in chapter eight, as we saw last time, he says that God has done this by joining us to the death of his son. And now the Holy Spirit is raising us from the dead. We die with Christ. We are raised from the dead with Christ. And the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is raising us from the dead day by day, bit by bit, piece by piece. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what God wants us to do and to be what God wants us to be. So then, Jesus' death and resurrection has set us free, but there's a problem. Now, Jesus' death and resurrection has set us free. By dying for our sins, Jesus has set us free, even from our own failures. God will never reject us as long as we cling to him. He has made us truly, totally, completely free. And now there is no fear of condemnation. There is no fear of rejection because, because we have died with Christ and been raised from the death of him. Notice the scope of our freedom. It's not only from sins that we committed in the past, but it's from all of the sins that we commit in the past, the present, the future, and from the sinful nature that we still struggle with. It's not just from individual acts of sin. We are freed from the power of sin itself. But, as I said, we have a problem, and our problem is we don't know how to live as free people. Our hearts are used to slavery. Our natures are used to slavery, to sin, to rules, to religion. And that part of us struggles with the new freedom that we have been given. We have two natures. The first nature is the old life, the old nature, which is dying but not completely dead. And the new life, which is being awakened, being built up in us through the Holy Spirit, but it hasn't completely taken over. And this is one of the places where the two natures struggle. We're free, but we don't know how to live as free people. The old nature is the nature of slavery, and it doesn't really trust freedom. So our temptation is to find a new set of rules to live by. And we are tempted to go to formal religion. Religion gives us rules. And religion lets us know where the boundaries are. And so we say to ourselves, if I know where the boundaries are, if I know what the rules are, then I can get this done. I can take care of this. And religion is happy to give us boundaries and rules. Religion says, do this, don't do that. Uh, religion says, this will make you better than the people around you. This will keep you safe. The problem with these rules is that they don't depend on the spirit. They depend on us. They depend on our effort. And they make us slaves to rules. They make us slaves to a law. Once upon a time we were slaves to sin. Now we are slaves to both sin and the law. We've gone from one bad master and never really escaped that bad master, but then we've gone to another bad master. And our human nature takes those rules and divides us from other people. And what Paul says is, Instead of going back into slavery to religion and rules, what we need to do is we need to continue to give ourselves to Jesus. Jesus says, Jesus gives us new life. Jesus gives us freedom, eternity, uh, grace, forgiveness. And then he gives us rules, but Jesus' rules are different from religion's rules. And he says, because you belong to me, spend the rest of your life trying to live up to these rules. I'll help you keep them and I'll forgive you when you fail. So how do we live this out? 
Well, Paul talks about that in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says this. He says, I beseech you, I ask you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to show what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So to live as free people, which God intends for us to do, we must do three things. The first thing is, 12.1, we must recognize that we belong to God. Living sacrifices. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, When he talks about bodies here, he's not just talking about physical activity. He's talking about everything you are. It's a holistic term. The whole person, mind, body, emotions, values, everything is a sacrifice. Everything is an offering to God. Paul uses sacrificial language here. In Old Testament sacrifices, the animal was completely burned up. Nothing was left to take home. Uh, the, the difference between, between what we sometimes envision as sacrifices and, and what an actual sacrifice was is the difference between cooking a steak on a grill where you're going to eat it and, and burning, up a, burning down a house or burning up a field of stubble so that there's nothing left and you can start over. Um, Old Testament sacrifices, particularly sin offerings, were completely burned up, completely incinerated. And the idea was that this showed that something completely belonged to God. If you burned it up until there was nothing left but ashes and smoke, and there was nothing useful left for you, then this was a very powerful way of illustrating that what you had given was completely belonging to God. That, by the way, is the idea, the point of the word holy in the Bible, something that is completely set apart to belong to God, or completely set apart and other. We want to think that we give our lives to God, and he tinkers with them and adjusts them here and there. Like I said last time, we think it's a renovation, you know, a light renovation project. And and God just tinkers with it and then gives it back to us. But that's not the idea. The idea is rather that God takes us and, and completely makes us new and completely transforms us. The second thing that we have to do is reject the world's pattern. Chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Our world has a pattern. And our world's pattern has to do with the values that our world has and the things that our world says are important. And you have the picture here of being squeezed into a mold, forced to fit a pattern, if you take cookie dough and spread it out on a, on a countertop and then you take cookie cutters and you cut the dough out in shapes, you haven't changed the dough. It's still cookie dough. It just looks different because it's cut into different shapes. Well, that's the, the picture here. Um, uh, the, the world is trying to shape us into its mold, but it's not changing us. We remain what we are. We remain what we were before. What is the world's pattern? The world's pattern is to say that success equals sex, pleasure, money, getting what you want, what you want, having control over the lives of other people. That's what the world wants. That's what the world admires. That's what the sinful nature chases after. 
And the tragic truth is it's not just the world. It's also Christians who follow these things every day because we haven't been transformed. We're still thinking. We're still living. We're still valuing. Our minds are still working like the old nature, the old way. But Jesus' way is different. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be made new Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus' way is different. You can have everything the world calls success, and it won't satisfy you. I always think of the story of Boris Becker, who won Wimbledon at age 17 and won six major tennis tournaments and was at the top of the game and has said in interviews since then that his constant struggle when he was was the, the number one tennis player in the world, his constant struggle was with whether he should commit suicide or not, because his life was so empty. Paul says we have to reject this way of thinking. And notice this, we have to choose to reject the world's pattern. It's not our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to think about these things the way the world does, because those are the things of the old nature. It's not what we normally do. A part of us is attracted to the world's world's pattern, the world's way of thinking. It's like swimming in a current. You know, you can, you can swim in a current, you can swim in a river, and you can swim against the current, but it's a lot easier to just float along with the current than it is to struggle against the current. It's not our nature to drift toward godliness. It's always our nature to drift toward sin. Jesus says, Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Paul says, I'm sorry, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Our minds, the way we think, need to be made new and renewed daily. Notice the contrast. Conforming's external. Like I said, it's like cookie cutters cutting out uh, cookie dough. You haven't changed the, the substance, you've just changed the shape. But being transformed is internal. The substance as well as the shape. If I have a block of salt... I can paint the salt, but it's still a block of salt. But if I grind it up and dissolve it and mix it with other chemicals, suddenly it's not just salt anymore. If I take a piece of wood, I can paint it. It's still wood. I can cut it into two pieces. It's still wood. I haven't changed the substance. But if I burn it, if I burn it, I've made it something new. I've made ashes, which are a different substance. God wants to do more to you than just give you a fresh coat of paint. God doesn't just want to make cosmetic changes to your life. He wants to fill and empower you and make you into something completely new. And how does he do this? He does this again by transforming your mind, transforming the way that you think, your heart, your mind, your priorities, your values. You won't be able to be the person God wants you to be if you look at life, if you look at the choices you have to make through a worldly perspective, by worldly values. God wants to change your mind, to change the way that you think. It's important that we know this. The way that we think has an important effect on how we live. If you think the world is random, if you think that you evolve by chance, you're going to live a certain way. If you think of God as angry and distant, you're going to live a certain way as a result of that thinking. If you think the highest purpose in life is to get what you want, you're going to live a certain way 
on the basis of that thought. What kinds of lives will you live? God wants to change your thinking and to make your thinking new, to make your mind new so that you can live a life that is different and a life that makes a difference. Notice the end of verse 2. He says, uh, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will test and prove what God's will is. The picture is that as Christians, as we are living out this new way of living, this new way of thinking, that we are demonstrating in front of the world that God's will and God's way are better. That God's values lead to a better life. The world says, live for your own pleasure, live for your own happiness, never mind what it does to others. We see plenty of examples of that. Paul says, if you're Christians, you live so that other people can see the difference. Now, I want to give you seven things that you can do that will help you to listen to the Holy Spirit, help you cooperate with the Holy Spirit as He is changing the way that you think and renewing your mind. The first thing is you have to realize that you are in a war. Your mind is the battlefield, and don't be surprised when Satan attacks you there. Your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, fears, memories, and attitudes, that's the place where Satan most frequently and fruitfully attacks you. So don't be surprised when Satan brings up doubts and fears. Don't be surprised when Satan brings up shame from your past. That's how he attacks you. Uh, just the, the other day, I was driving in traffic here in Zagreb and, and suddenly flashed back to something that, that I did and something that happened to me when I was in second grade, third grade, seven years old, eight years old maybe. And, um, and I was overcome by shame and anger. And, uh, and it's, it's the strangest thing that something that happened to me 50 years ago would still have power in my life, even though it's something that, that I wasn't at fault. And, and if there was a sin on my part, it's been forgiven. It's, it's been taken away. Um, my past still has the ability to haunt me. Well, where does that come from? Is that God that is putting that thought in my mind? No, it's not. That's how Satan attacks us. That's how Satan attacks you. When you are living your life, you know, you're at work or you're at home and you're doing, you know, you're just active doing something and suddenly Satan brings to mind the way that someone has hurt you, uh, the anger that you feel towards someone, the desire to get even with someone. You know, where does that come from? That doesn't come from God. That's Satan. That's how Satan attacks don't be surprised when that happens. Don't be surprised when doubts and fear and shame from the past. Don't be surprised when that happens. Uh, that's how Satan attacks. That's, that is Satan's most potent weapon against us. Expect it, because you live in a battlefield. Second, the battlefield is not neutral. There is a part of us that loves Satan's lies. There's a part of us that clings to Satan's lies like Velcro. We are, we are addicted to that way of looking at the world. We are addicted to that way of, of seeing things, that set of values. It's like playing a sport, soccer or, or football or basketball, where the court 
or the field is tilted against you so that when you're running, you're always running uphill. And when you're throwing or kicking the ball or shooting the ball, you're always shooting uphill. And the other team is always, is always running downhill toward you. You know, you can do that, but it would be really difficult. That would be a really difficult way to play basketball or tennis if the court was tilted uh, so that, so that your, your opponent was always hitting the ball downfield. That's the way it is when we're trying to fight with Satan in our minds because our minds are predisposed Our sinful nature is predisposed to think of things the way that Satan wants us to think of them. And so don't be surprised when Satan lies to you, and don't be surprised when his lie looks like the truth. He is appealing to your old nature. He is appealing to a part of you that is is especially susceptible to this, that is easily deceived. So first, remember that you are in a war. Second, remember that the battlefield is not neutral. The battlefield is not level. It's tilted. Third, remember that you have a powerful ally on your side, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, if you listen to him, will expose Satan's lies. The Holy Spirit, if you listen to him, will give you the ability to overcome, to move past, to disregard Satan's lies, and to cling to God's truth. If you let him, you have to let him. You have to let him do that. But he will expose Satan's lies to you if you let him do it. He will transform the way you think if you yield to him. Fourth, you yield to the Holy Spirit by taking control of your thoughts and turning them Godward. When you're overcome by shame or anger from the past, ask yourself, where did that thought come from? What does God's Word say about this? When you're, you're filled with rage at how someone has treated you in the past, where did, that, where did that come from? When you're overcome by doubt or despair and you think to yourself, I'll never get any better at this, where did that come from? What does God's Word say about this? This kind of negative self-talk where we beat ourselves up or where we allow Satan to beat ourselves up. It doesn't come from God. It's not a neutral thing. This is how Satan attacks us. And and what we have to do is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, he says we have to take every thought captive. We have to take every thought captive and, 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 and check what our thoughts are and where they come from. Now that doesn't seem natural to us. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It depends on the Holy Spirit. It depends on the Holy Spirit's power. And remember, from Romans 8, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you to give life to you also. Fifth thing, embrace the things that the Holy Spirit gives and put them into action. From Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Embrace that. Pursue that. Try to put that into action. As, as you put your shoulder to the wheel, as you put your effort towards being a person who is more filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., The Holy Spirit is amplifying your effort. 
the Holy Spirit is amplifying your effort. Philippians 4.8, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Again, as, as you make an effort to move in this direction, the Holy Spirit will amplify your effort. The Holy Spirit will discipline your thinking and discipline your mind to make you more and more what God wants you to be. And how does this work? Well, we visualize situations every day. Conversations with people at work, conversations with family, places where we wish we would have said something different. We visualize running into somebody, and you know, the next time I run into this awful person, here's what I'm going to say, and I'm going to put them in their place. Um, instead of visualizing how you put someone in their place, or instead of visualizing how you had the perfect comeback when someone said something mean to you, visualize someone insulting you or hurting you, and then you responding to them the way that Jesus would, with compassion, with understanding. With, with kindness that comes from your heart, not, not forced, not put on. Daydream about what Jesus would do and then see yourself doing it in Jesus' place. The sixth thing that you, sh you should do is to feed your mind with things that open you to the Holy Spirit. The old way of looking at the world, the old way of thinking about people and things, that's the enemy. And so to open your mind to the new things, pray. Study the Bible, worship, fast, meditate on Scripture. The spiritual disciplines that, that go into building character, those spiritual disciplines are things that open your heart to God's presence and power. Seventh and finally, consciously and intentionally submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. Every day pray that the Spirit will speak to you and lead you. Every day pray that the Spirit will open you up to His leading. Every day pray that the Spirit will break the chains, the attitudes, the hurts, the traumas, the habits that keep you from being the person that God created you to be. I'm going to confess a sin to you. This isn't my only sin. You have to pay. You have to pay to, uh, if you want to hear my full confession, you have to pay me. Um, that's a joke. I want, uh, my sin is that, that all my life I have wanted to be liked. And I have worried more than I think is normal about wanting to be liked, about whether people would like me and accept me. And it's, it's caused me some trouble from time to time. I've made decisions. I've done things that I wouldn't have normally done because I was worried about whether people would like me. And I remember in Bible college, Dallas Christian College, I remember sitting in my dorm one day reading my Bible, and I read the passage in John 12 where it says of the religious leaders that they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And that, that verse just stabbed me in the heart. And I thought, that's me. That's, my, that's, my, that's one of my sins. That's one of my weaknesses. And so since that time, regularly, not every day, but regularly, I have prayed that God would deliver me from that desire, that the Holy Spirit would deliver me from that desire. I have prayed that the Holy Spirit would deliver me from the hurts and the wounds of my past that caused that desire, that make me feel insecure about whether people like me or not. I've prayed that the Holy Spirit would break the chains that bind me to those traumatic events, 
Every day I pray that the Holy Spirit will enable me to do what God wants me to do, whether people like me or not, because of it. And I'm not completely there. It's still a struggle sometimes. It's still an impulse sometimes to worry when I'm making a decision. Well, will people like me because of this decision or not? Will this decision cost me popularity? But the Holy Spirit is at work, and the Holy Spirit is making me new. He's changing me. And He will change you too. What's the habit? What's the attitude? What's the temptation in your life? Give it to the Holy Spirit and every day pray that He will change your actions by changing the attitudes and the desires and the hurts underneath, by healing the wounds, by breaking the chains. Your heart and your mind are the basis of all your actions, and that's where the Spirit most often brings healing. It's not just the place where Satan attacks, it's also the place where the Holy Spirit heals. Let Him heal the foundation of your behavior so that the behavior will bring glory to God. So here are those last seven points. Seven things that you can do to to align your life, to submit your life to the Holy Spirit. The first one is realize that you are in a war and your mind is the battlefield. Second, realize that the battlefield is not neutral. Third, realize that the Holy Spirit is your ally, and He is the powerful one. Fourth, yield to Him by taking control of your thoughts and turning them Godward. You can control your thoughts. You don't have to believe everything that pops into your head. You don't have to believe everything you think. Uh, uh, our, our fallenness, our, our, our minds are affected by sin, just like the rest of us is affected by sin. And our reasoning, our ability to reason, is affected by sin, by the presence of sin. We are fallen in our minds, so we have to take control of our thoughts and be critical of how we think sometimes and turn our thoughts Godward. Fifth, embrace the things that the Spirit gives and put put them into action. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is Philippians 4.8. Sixth, feed your mind with things that open you to the Holy Spirit prayer, Bible study, fasting, worship, fellowship. And seventh, consciously and intentionally submit yourself to the Holy Spirit every day. Remember from Romans 8, uh, the, the idea of manna. Every day you have to go to the Holy Spirit, and every day it's fresh. Every day it's new as He, as he changes you and makes you new. All right, I'm going to stop there. Um, thank you for listening to the podcast, and... Uh, I hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Cruciform Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Cruciform Pod. Dr. Stepp is the president of the Biblical Institute of Zagreb, Croatia, and this podcast is a production of the Biblical Institute.